Hi, welcome back. Barry Sherry here, host of Pink Noise Radio. I'm glad you've joined us. Today's conversation is juicy, and dare I say, even a tad salacious. Anytime I speak publicly about sex, I notice butterflies in my stomach and a tightness in my chest. There's something inherently taboo about it for me, and maybe you too. And yet the act of sex is what has grown our civilization since the dawn of our species. So why then do so many of us keep our desires to ourselves? What could shift in our culture if we normalized conversations about pleasure and fulfillment? Today's guest is a liberated love coach, and her mission in life is to change social narratives on what a relationship is supposed to be. I'd like to remind my listeners that you don't have to agree with me or my guest to recognize our humanity, and thus is the practice of empathy. If you find yourself having any resistance to what we are talking about, then perhaps that's an invitation for you to be curious about where your beliefs come from. This whole idea of finding the one, it can be like chasing after our purpose, the holy grail. What if your one is actually two or three? Don't we get to decide what ingredients go into our life cake? That said, we're going to drop right into this conversation with Alicia Payne. I'm really impressed with how you show up. And the fact that you're willing to put your beliefs out into the open. And one of the things I marvel at as I examine my own choices and what I choose to keep private is how did you reconcile the, the, the vulnerability, the risk about revealing to anyone who might find you on social media? And, and when I say anyone, I think of family. I think of perhaps conservative members of of one's family who don't hold the same beliefs. I think about employers or past colleagues or members of influence in your community. Like, how do you reconcile being able to be so open about who you are publicly? (laughs) That's a really good question. Um, You know, I just feel like one, it's a lot of freaking energy to like, to edit yourself, you know, to like to censor yourself. It takes a lot of energy to be thinking about everybody else's issues, you know? Um, And I also feel like whatever judgments they have are about them and not about me and literally don't impact my life. You know, like they might say something to me, but again, it's about them and it doesn't impact my life. Not really. Um, I do like, I worry about like some, some of the things I write, I think, Oh my God, my dad's going to read this, (laughs) you know? And also I'm a 42 year old woman with multiple relationships and everybody knows that. So obviously I'm having sex. So who cares if I'm talking about it? (laughs) Right. And, and what is it about the way that many of us were raised that believed that talking about sex was so taboo when we're all wanting it or having it. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, right? I wish more people would talk about it because everybody wants to. Even the most kind of conservative, uptight, prudish people, like they want to. They're just scared to. And so it's really more about like finding safety in your, within yourself, like in your nervous system, right? Knowing that you can hold yourself with safety, regardless of how anybody else shows up. Yeah. How did you learn not to put so much importance on what other people think? Um, I mean, you know, like, I still think about it, you know, like it still worries me and I still go, oh, what are people gonna say? And then I go, it, it doesn't matter. Not really. I mean, a part of that is probably my upbringing. My mom is, is very much the same way and is very open and we talked about everything. And so, I mean, definitely part of it is my upbringing, but another part of it is just wanting to show up in the world as authentically myself as I can, because it's the only thing that feels good. Oh yeah. That's why I'm on this journey. Yeah. I mean, that's almost every episode I bring up authentic relating and the practice that, that I've been, you know, steeped in for the last three plus years. It's, and it's amazing to me that it's a practice, that it's a course I went to, right? Like I, Sherry Hauser signed up for a course to learn how to be more myself. <laughs> Like, how absurd is that, really? Yeah. And what I discovered, though, is I wasn't in touch with my feelings. And it came from a lot of places, but primarily I didn't feel safe to reveal them in, uh, for, for a large part of my adult life. And, you know, I was just as responsible for creating that container as anyone else in that container with me. So I know that I had a role to play in that dynamic, but I suppressed and denied a lot of my feelings and I had to relearn. Yeah. What, what's happening? What does, what does anger feel like in my body? What does sadness feel like in my body? How do I express it? And so this idea of courage, and I see you standing for courage, like you are embodying your authentic self in showing up that the way you do, and you're inviting others to come along on this ride with you. I, I read about your, your invitations and, and on your website, just helping you create the relationship you've always wanted. Yeah. How does, how did you come to define yourself in that way? <laughs> um. Well, first, thank you for that reflection. That feels really good to one to like hear that from you, but to just know that that's kind of that that's what people are seeing, you know. <laughs> um, how did I come to define myself that way? I I don't know, honestly. You know, I I went I was married monogamously for thirteen years, and I mean there were a lot of good things that came out of that relationship, but at the end of that. 
I was like, I don't want to identify myself in by my relationships, you know, like I was a wife and so much of my life was about being a wife and about supporting him and showing up for him and creating an image of a life that looked really good, you know? And when I came to the end of that, I was like, well, that's not what I wanted, right? Like that wasn't actually what I wanted. I just wanted to look all the ways and thought maybe that was how you, that was how you, you know, have a successful life. (laughs) And I came to the end of that and I was like, well, I don't want to be monogamous again because that doesn't really meet any of my needs. And also I'm a really jealous and possessive person. So how do I like, that also doesn't like serve me in any positive way. So how do I reconcile these two things? You know, I don't want to be a jealous, possessive person and I don't want to be monogamous. So I went on like a huge exploration of what does that look like? How do you, how do you bypass that? Like the social conditioning that, that made that a thing in my life. Um, And a part of learning about those things, it was really learning who I am and what my needs are and what my desires are and how to have boundaries around myself that meant I wasn't, um, meant that I wasn't putting everybody else ahead of myself, you know, that I wasn't suppressing my, who I really am in order to get love or in order to get acceptance. Um, Yeah. I hear, I hear you prioritizing yourself, mm-hmm. putting you first. Yeah. After many years of maybe fitting into someone else's box or a vision of you that you thought you were supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining that feeling of liberation that comes from realizing that you can create the life you want. Hmm and design the relationships you want. Yeah. And so now this is your mission is to help other people do that too. I see you holding a value for redefining the default of a relationship as monogamy. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think I mean, like monogamy is totally valid. Like that's a great relationship choice for so many people. It makes so much sense. It has, like there is some inherent stability that comes along with it. Um, But it's also not the only choice and it doesn't work for a lot of freaking people, right? Like like a lot of people it doesn't work for. (laughs) And so I think it's just really important to one, know that, that's not the only way to, to just have the options open to create a life that works for you rather than a life that works for Joe down the street. Like, (laughs) like the people we're trying to satisfy with our relationship choices often have nothing to do with our relationships. Yeah. And I see the fallout from not doing that might be to carry the burden of shame. You want something that society tells you is wrong Mm -hmm. and there's this heaviness that someone walks around with 
if they don't figure out how to set it down and ask for their desires to be met. I mean, it isn't your partner's obligation to meet your desires if they're not on the same page as you, but it is your obligation to speak and communicate what it is you want. And your partner can say, I see you in your wanting and I don't think I can meet you there. And then you can decide what to do about it. There's still choice, but not speaking out numbs like, and kind of stuffs and makes wrong the desire that we might have. Mm. Is that, is that true? Is that what you find in your work? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. I think a lot of people come to me going, you know, like we've been doing it the way we're supposed to for so long and we don't feel fulfilled. We don't feel content. We don't feel all the things that we're supposed to be feeling. Now what? (laughs) Yeah. And I think one of the biggest parts of that or one of the mo- like most important building blocks to that is creating a sense of being able to hold yourself, right? Like, like creating a sense of safety within your own body and creating a sense of safety within your relationships where it feels safe to say, hey, I have this desire or hey, I have this fantasy or I have this thing I want to do that we don't necessarily have to do, but like, I'd like to share it with you and not feel judgment and shame around just sharing what's on your mind. And what's on the other side of sharing? What have you found with the people that you work with? Um, Like I'm imagining that there might be people listening to this who think, I could never tell my partner what it is I really want to do. Like, A, you can you can actually get your need met. Imagine that. And be more fulfilled than you ever thought possible. And there's absolutely zero cost in having done so. Or 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 what else? Can you can you walk us through your experience? People will surprise you, even people that you've known for decades will surprise you, right? Um what else you open up a conversation that leads down a path that you couldn't anticipate right that leads you to something bigger and better it might lead to a shift in the relationship that was needed all along and you didn't know was needed what else happens so much i mean just the freedom of like being yourself like that alone is is of ecstatic. I'm hearing some background audio interference. It's my heater. (sighs) I'm going to turn it off. It is very loud and I thought it was off. Why do you think individuals feel the need to hide a part of themselves when they're in a relationship? I think it, I think that gets, like you get more and more of that the longer a relationship goes on. Right. Because, you know, when you start dating someone, you kind of you put your best foot forward and 
and you show up a certain way and then that's how they know you. And, and we really, our society really values consistency, right? So if you show up one way on the first date and then you show up a completely different way on the second date, like that's kind of frowned upon, right? <laughs> we want, we want to see the same person every time we see them, or, or at least that's kind of what we've been taught. And so, you know, you start developing a relationship and then you start to get to know each other and you might go a little bit deeper. You might show up a little bit more yourself, but what happens is we start to learn or start to anticipate how our partners are going to respond to things. We start to anticipate, you know, what's going to upset them. We start to anticipate what they're going to want or, or how they're going to respond to the things we say to them. And so oftentimes we don't even say them because it's kind of like, oh, I already know what they're going to say. Yeah. I'm not even going to bother bringing up this conversation. I already know what he's going to say about it. <laughs> you know, we, and then we, we just start making assumptions about who our partner is and how they're going to show up. And then, and then the next thing you know, like you're not even actually relating to each other right? You're, you're having a relationship with who they were 10 years ago, <laughs> rather than the person that's sitting in front of you. You know, we all grow and change and not at the same rate or in the same directions. And so keeping that, like, keeping that conversation, like, like real conversation open and keeping it going and asking the same questions every year or every month or, you know, like not going, well, I, I, I know what his favorite movie was 10 years ago. It's probably different now. <laughs> yeah. We are assumption making machines. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no doubt about it. The five practices of authentic relating. The second one is assume nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and in that teaching, like we all know that we're doing it, but the opportunity is to at least out yourself, mm-hmm. call yourself out. I'm making an assumption that dot, dot, dot. Is that true? And it makes it easier if you just, if you can notice that you're having the assumption and first acknowledge it to yourself that that's what's up. Yeah. Then revealing it to your partner. The third practice is reveal your experience. So, I mean, I'm hearing you talk and I'm hearing welcome everything. Yeah. The first practice, which is, you know, explore the possibilities, right? Well, welcome everything. Anything that you want to be true could be true if you were willing to be courageous enough to speak it. Yeah. And don't assume you know what your partner is willing to do or not do in service of your love, in service of your connection. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I, I'm seeing the interconnection of your work and my work being so in sync. Yeah. <laughs> Except you help people get it on in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's all, you know, goes hand in hand. <laughs> I read that you're putting together a workshop for how to have uh, group sex. Mm-hmm. I should am. I, should I be wording that differently? No, you know, I have had the, this has been in the back, like, like I, this has been developing or brewing in the back of my mind for several years. And it's always been group sex choreography. Like in my mind, it's always been group sex choreography. And then when I went, okay, I'm going to create this. Oh, wait, it has to be something that's not going to get flagged on social media and get me kicked off of every, every platform. (laughs) 
so I had to come up with another name. So I went with getting it on in a group, intentional threesomes, foursomes, and moresomes. And, you know, when it, I've always said group sex choreography and people went, oh, like, you're just going to show us how to do it. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> so the idea is, I feel like a lot, a lot, a lot of people have some sort of group sex fantasy. Right, I think it's something like 37% of people polled like two years ago in a thing that I don't have in front of me, but it's a lot of people um, have a fantasy. And what most people, you know, most, most people are in monogamous relationships or are monogamous minded. And so this is like a huge step outside of that. Even just thinking about like maybe having a threesome, that's a huge step outside of what's normal and acceptable. Um, and so I think what happens is a lot of couples will get to the point where they're like, yeah, we're talking about our fantasies. We feel really safe with each other. We'd like to try a threesome. And they go, well, how do we do that? I don't know. Maybe we could find a friend. I, I don't know. You know, well, and then they wind up kind of inviting a friend, maybe getting everybody really drunk and then having some weird, awkward sexual situation that not everybody comes out of satisfied. And <laughs> I feel like this is kind of the typical introduction to non-monogamy for a lot of people is like, oh, we did this thing and it wasn't what our fantasy <laughs> looked like at all. <laughs> you know, and so I think I want to give people the information to have all the conversations around why they're doing it why everybody involved is doing it, what everybody wants to get out of it, what their needs and desires are, what their boundaries are before anybody's even naked, right? And then, and then a lot of the other things, because a lot of people are coming out of, from, from monogamy, sexual safety, holy cow, like nobody knows the, about all the things that go into sexual safety with when you have more than one partner with you. <laughs> It's not the same and it's not as, uh, it, it doesn't come as naturally as dyad sex, right? You know, two people, it's, it's, you can kind of feel your way through everything. You start adding more limbs and more genitals and, and it's not as uh, organic. You have to put a little bit more thought into it. <laughs> and so my idea was just, yeah, creating, creating a program where People can get their questions answered. People can get the information that is almost impossible to find. Like I haven't seen anything like this. Um, and then yeah, also a little bit of choreography. You know, who who sits where, who wants what in what, who, <laughs> who doesn't want penetration but still wants to be involved. Who's going to get the snacks? Who's going to make sure everybody's hydrated? Like like the, the actual choreography of it. <laughs> Who's curated the playlist? Yeah. <laughs> Where the, where's the toy box? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and um, from my experience in group situations, I'll offer that there is a, a heightened level of attention required so that at any moment, like that people don't feel left out. Mm-hmm. You know, that you're, that you're integrating attention with, you know, in, in dyad sex, as you called it with one partner, it's really easy 
where your attention goes. Yeah. And as, and as you pointed out, as soon as you bring another person in the room, you've got two people to pay attention to. And if you're doing couple play, you know, there's four of you in the room. Yeah. And so how's everybody doing? Is everybody getting enough of what they want? And if, if I focus too much on, on one person in one area, then what's happening? So it's almost like my favorite trick is to just call it out. Like, I'm going to go over here and do this one thing to you. Is everybody good with that? (laughs) Before I like put my blinders on and want to have a specific experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause then, cause then, you know, I'm being really obvious about it. And, and I find it so much about communication, being really clear about what you want, why you want it. Is everybody good with that? And you have to build that foundation of trust, don't you? Because you have to trust the other people involved to speak up if they're not okay with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's what so often happens is, you know, I've been in situations in the past with my husband where, like, I was no longer okay with what was happening. But I didn't have a voice anymore because we were, we were on the, down the road or I didn't think I did. And so I would suppress that voice and then have feelings later, you know, that, that I had to deal with that were messy. They were messy later feelings. Yeah. So I've learned, I've learned from trial and error. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah. I think that, I think that's so common. It, is just grin and bear it, get through it, be the life of the party. Don't, don't, you know, don't ruin things for everybody else. That's a thing that we are so socialized to do in all areas of life, but especially when it comes to sex, right? Nobody wants to be the one who ruins the mood. Yeah. Yeah. Especially women. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and so that's a part of it, right? It's just establishing ahead of time that, hey, you can speak up and everybody's going to be okay with you speaking up if something feels uncomfortable and we can, we can shift, we can change what's happening or you can go grab water for everyone. Like, like that's one of the things that I include is, is uh, not outs, but like things that you can do when you're unsure of what to do. Right. Like I'm, I feel like I'm not being included right now. Well, if other people don't know you, you don't feel included, like just reach out and grab a hand or touch someone, you know, and then they go, Oh yes. And they might grab you and pull you in. (laughs) Yeah. But I think like people don't know, they just go, I feel awkward. I'm going to just lay here. (laughs) Yeah. How has it changed your life being integrated who you are, how you're showing up in the relationships as you want, and now teaching and coaching on this. Yeah. What's that been like for you? Yeah. Uh, there's, there was a lot of trial and error, a lot of grin and bear it and get through this because this is what I said I wanted. And now I'm feeling all the feelings and feeling uncomfortable, right? And so there's a whole lot of work around really falling in love with myself 
and really just embracing who I am and, and believing all of my partners that I am all the things that they say I am, right? Which is a huge challenge. So just believing and trusting these people that are looking at me and saying, you're amazing, we love you, you're fantastic, you're beautiful, and actually believing that they're telling me the truth is huge. And now I can walk into situations and, and know like, oh yeah, all of those things are true. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't still have like monkey chatter, you know, the little voices in my mind that say, oh, but what if you're, what if you're too fat? What if you're too old? What if you're not sexy enough? Or what if you're going to ruin the mood by saying you don't want to, to do a triple backflip off the bed? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I, I, those voices still exist. And yet I don't, I no longer have to listen to them. I know that they're just insecurities and, and I can still like move through situations feeling confident and, and um, just like, it's okay to show up as myself. That's just the point of it all, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like permission to just fucking relax. Yes. And fully expose who you are and love that part, love all of the parts of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's where the magic happens. Yeah. Tell me about your Tantra studies. How do you incorporate, how do you incorporate your, um, your work in Tantra sex magic? Oh. Oh, I love it. Um, when I'm working with clients, um, and, and I'm including some of this in the getting it on in a group, but when I'm working with clients, I give them a lot of practices that um, that create shifts within the body, within the nervous system, that teach their nervous system or rewire their nervous system to a state of internal safety. Right. And so uh, I use a lot of breath work because it, it gets you out of your head. It gets you out of the, the cognitive thought processes, the, the monkey mind shatter, you know, all of, all of the little voices that say like, what, what if, what if, what if, you know, I'm bad, 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 you know, gets you out of that and just into your body. Right. And just dropping into your body and feeling pleasure and feeling, emotion and feeling all of the things that our body is designed to feel that in our, you know, in our everyday life, like we, we suppress so much of that. We don't listen to our bodies. We suppress our emotions. We just get through. It's not, it's not proper to, to start shaking in the middle of a conversation or to scream in the middle of a conversation or to cry in the middle of a conversation or to show really any emotion other than happiness. And so finding ways to allow your body to feel and process and move through all of the, the all of the emotions that we have throughout the day and, and, and moving those through your body creates huge shifts. It creates a lot of healing and it creates like, um, like permission to, 
to be yourself, right? To stop suppressing the, the emotions that you're having and the thoughts that you're having. And so I use a combination of like breath work and body movement uh, to make those shifts real, like, like actually felt and stay in the body. So that like, like all day long, we can talk about self-love. You hear about self-love all the time, right? Like, like I have been told so many times in my life, all you need to do is love yourself. And I'm like, yeah, but like, how, (laughs) how does that even happen? (laughs) You know? And, and so you can think it all the time. Like you can, you can have this, this thought pattern of like, oh, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. I'm safe in my body. I'm safe in my body. I'm safe in my body. But that does not make it real in your body. It doesn't make you actually feel that it's just a thing you're thinking. It's just words that you're thinking. And so, so when you use things that like breath work, uh, Tantra, um, body movement, dance, yoga, you know, things that really get you into your body and connect those to these feelings of self-love. You know, when you make those feelings real, that's, that's where, that's where it becomes real. (laughs) Yeah. Is that how you learned how to love yourself more? Oh yeah. Yeah. That and lots of masturbation. (laughs) um i have a uh a couple times a week i have a a breathwork practice i drop into and just it's really just about feeling what's happening in my body and allowing and accepting anything that shows up right sometimes i'm laughing sometimes i'm crying sometimes i fall asleep and it's just a matter of, of allowing and accepting that I have thoughts and feelings and emotions. And, and when I'm able to accept all of them, then that is like, that's like this, like an in, inherent love for yourself, mm-hmm. right? Just accepting it all, all of it, all the messiness. <laughs> yeah. There was something I read that you had written um, on social media. Real life is not porn. Real sex is not porn. Real love is not porn. And group sex might look like porn, but it's full of real hearts, real emotions, real boundaries, and real bodies. Why did you want to communicate that message to people? Because I think that most people have very little exposure to real sex, you know, like, like we, and there's nothing disparaging about porn. Porn is great. Um, But they are professionals setting a scene, creating a fantasy, creating an image And what we as the viewers don't see is consent conversations, conversations around condoms and STI safety. We don't see the actors going and getting STI tests, you know, like, (laughs) and we don't see the director going, okay, this, this angle isn't working. Joe, you get on top of Sally. Like, you know, like, like, we don't see everything that happens. And so when people have this fantasy about group sex, it's, the fantasy is what we see, like what we've been exposed to in media, right? Uh, the fantasy doesn't include that one person 
um, is having a lot of like, you know, has, has some sort of emotion around what is happening or that another person has um, some boundaries around certain positions or, you know, like we don't see what's really happening for the people. And I think it's really important to to make it real, you know, like bodies are messy and weird and sex is really funny and there are weird sounds and everybody is a human being with an entire life of experience that, that they are calling upon when they show up in a situation and all their experience, like nobody's experiences are the same. So nobody's reactions are going to be the same and nobody's expectations are going to be the same. Um, and so it's just, yeah, it just, you got to make it real and make it real people and, and that they aren't just toys showing up to fulfill a fantasy. Yeah. And why do you imagine there's so much discomfort for people uh, in hearing a conversation around wanting to have sex with someone other than their primary partner? Mm. A couple of things. Um, one being just the um, our cultural stigma against non-monogamy, right? Even for people who um, have identified as non-monogamous um, for a long, long time, are st there's still a lot of socialization, um, like cultural conditioning, that says that monogamy is the way. I mean, from our fairy tales and and every love story out there, rom-coms, I mean, like everything, right? Everything says you have to choose the one and you have to make the right choice. And if you desire someone besides the one, then you obviously don't love them because for some reason, all of our stories have conflated sexual desire and love. <laughs> um <laughs> The other big piece I think is, is insecurity, right? If now, if somebody's overhearing it, I think another piece would be uh, the idea that if somebody else gets that thing, it's going to invalidate the thing that I have, right? If somebody else is allowed to have group sex and I'm not, <laughs> wait a minute, or like that, that if somebody else is allowed to have that in their relationship, and I'm not allowed to have that in my relationship, they shouldn't be able to have that, or something along those lines. <laughs> but I think a lot of it's insecurity. You know, what if, what if now that means that I'm not loved? What if now that means that you want somebody else more than me? And, and that means that they're better than me, or more attractive than me, or more worthy than me. And what do you think this invalidating piece that you spoke to a minute ago, like if you have it and I don't, why do we think that everyone should have the same thing? Why do we think there's one right way to do stuff? Mm. Yeah. Like what does it actually take away from that person? It, it reminds me of, of conservatives who were against gay marriage and this idea it's almost like scarcity like if someone has something other than what I want like it's bad and wrong and I don't want you to have it because it somehow might tarnish 
or diminish what I have. And I'm wondering if that analogy is the same filter that could be layered over the stigma of polyamory. Yeah, no, that was exactly the analogy I was going to use, right? Like if you have that thing, then now my thing is no longer of value. It no longer sits up on a pedestal, right? Uh, And I, I think it is very much a scarcity mindset, right? If you're having more sex, then that means less sex for me somehow. (laughs) And maybe it's not about the volume of sex, but it's about the quality of being turned on. It's about the quality Mm. of your, of your pleasure. What are some of the other ways in which you um, preach this? I put a ton of free content out, right? Like a ton of uh, resources and information on non-monogamy, polyamory, group sex. Um, I, I have this course that's coming out, which, which actually we're starting for Valentine's day. I was like, what a wonderful, wonderful gift one could give themselves or a partner or multiple partners is this uh, like a four week live deep dive into everything around group sex and creating a really intentional, beautiful experience. Um, so that's like my main like focus right now. <laughs> um, I work with a lot of people uh, one-on-one or one-on-two or one-on-three, however big their relationship is. Um, I work with relationships on creating creating safety in the relationship, um, changing the the communication uh, cycles that they get into and and introducing new things, creating deeper sexual connections. Um, Can you tell me about the work you do to um, face jealousy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jealousy. Oh. (sighs) The first thing about jealousy is that it's not a villain, right? It's not an enemy or a sign of, you know, if someone's jealous, that doesn't make them a bad person, which I feel like there's a lot of this idea that like, if you're feeling jealous, that there's something wrong with you or you're being a jerk, or now you're going to be controlling or, you know, the green eyed monster is going to take over. And, uh, but jealousy is just an emotion, like every other emotion that we experience it's a powerful emotion, right? But so is happiness, so is pleasure, so is sadness. Like they all have, you know, big, big, uh, we have big sensations, big internal sensations to emotions. Uh, but, but jealousy is one that we try to ignore or shove down or pretend doesn't exist. And so it, I think, gets a lot more time in the body to become bigger and bigger and bigger and harder to manage or harder to move through because we spend so much time not processing it or not experiencing it. So if somebody's feeling jealous, um, the first thing is just like to allow that or accept that that's an emotion that you're feeling, right? And it's it's gonna go away just like every other emotion, they all flow through the body and you come out the other end. Um, (laughs) um, But the other thing about jealousy is 
that we need to find the places that it is signaling to us need a bit of healing, right? Oftentimes jealousy is like this big flag waving going, hey, over here, you have this fear of being abandoned. Or hey, over here, you have this fear of being less than, uh, you know, or you have this, for me, a big one was like being like, like wounding from my childhood and from my friendships where I often felt abandoned and uh, ignored and, you know, by all my little girlfriends. And then I would have to pretend that like, it didn't bother me that they went to play without me, you know? (laughs) And I found, uh, especially moving into relationships with more than one person and in group, group situations that I would experience that exact same sensation in my body that I did as an 11 year old girl being sad that my friends were going and playing without me. Right. I like, like I literally felt like, Oh, everybody wants to play without me. And you guys didn't invite me to come. Forget the fact that I was sitting naked in the room with multiple people who obviously invited me. I still, (laughs) my jealousy was like, yeah, but they're not playing with you. They want to play without you. (laughs) Um, And just, so for me, it was, it was going, oh, here are these, these pieces of me that have been in my body and in my mind for my whole lifetime that need some attention and some acceptance and some healing and love, right? Just like deep, deep love. And that like, for that example, was the idea that like, I will never abandon myself, you know, like I will always show up for me. Like, like I literally can't be abandoned. Sure, people can abandon me, but like I won't be floating around in the dark void by myself. Like <laughs> I still completely love myself unconditionally um, and show up for myself and can give myself pleasure and can give myself all the things that I need in, in one way or another. Yeah. I'll tell you, Alicia, what I was tracking was a pretty clear articulation of you found a fear underneath your jealousy. Yeah. When you uncovered it, you were able to find some connection threads to another time in your life where you felt that way and you associated it to abandonment. So first of all, you recognize (laughs) this feeling And you could bring it forward and say, oh, I see you. I know who you are. Yeah. Do do you actually have a place here? Like, I recognize you, but I don't think you fit here. Right? Because like, these people asked me to be here. I'm just having like a, like a sensation, sensational memory flashback. Right? It It sounds like you were able to, you know, recognize it, identify it. And, and kind of unpack it and, and, and maybe set it down. Yeah. Set right. it down and, and tell yourself what's actually true in the moment is that yeah. you're, you're fine. You're loved. You're seen. Yeah. And what tools did you use to recognize the fear underneath the jealousy? For me a big tool is actually journaling, actually getting, getting the, getting it out of my head, you know, the overthinking and the, and the spinning out on the same thoughts and getting them out of my head and down on paper 
makes a huge difference. It, it stops the momentum, right? It stops the momentum of that, of thinking the same thought over and over and gives it somewhere to, to then continue down that line of thought and actually process it all the way through. And I think everybody, everybody has a different thing that works for them, right? Um, and it might be a physical action for some people like going for a walk or going for a run allows their mind to, to get past that, that uh, over like rethinking the same thing over and over, you know, do like being in motion for some people, it might be writing or journaling or uh, speaking out loud into, into the world. <laughs> um, yeah, that and the other thing for me is breath work. Gosh, I have processed so much during breath work in like a really non-cognitive way, right? Not like, like I'm thinking through uh, a story, but just that things exist and then they just kind of pass through and go away. If that makes sense. <laughs> How do you think breathwork does that? It's almost like being on a mushroom trip. <laughs> it really is. It's like, it's like having this, um, a journey happen within the body and the primal brain. Right. It's like this journey happens and you come out the other end feeling like like you went somewhere and came back and you left some baggage wherever it is that you went. I'm noticing a desire to practice more breath work, mm. hearing that. Yeah. Is there anything you haven't said today that you want to share before we close our episode? I had an experience, and this is actually really fun. Um, the first time my husband and I went to a sex club, uh, and we weren't married at the time, um, but the first time we went to a sex club, uh, this woman comes up to me and she says, oh, you're really beautiful. Hey, wait, I know you. We were at a yoga retreat together last weekend. And I had this moment of like, my stomach dropped. And I thought, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And then I looked around and I went, wait, we're both here. Like you're here too. This is okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so the idea of like, what if somebody saw me? I mean, if, if we're talking about a, a container where that is to be expected, well, that person is also doing the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Is there an order in which one discloses who they are, why they disclose, and when, under what conditions? Is it important to be seen for all of the parts of who you are? Like, I ask, I ask myself questions like this. I, I yeah. really do. You know, and to even and to even admit, like, our second date was at a sex club. So talk about the doors being wide open to anything as possible. Like that's that's how our love affair began. 
Let's go explore. Let's go watch and learn what turns us on and, and, and share it with each other. We didn't actually go there to have sex. In fact, it was explicitly not on the table at our second date. We were at CSPC. Uh, for anyone in Seattle who might know, that's the Center for Sex Positive Culture. And yeah, we went to one of their, you know, all-in events. And the whole point was to, you know, voyeur, ex- watch, see what people were doing and talk about how it made us feel. It's that mind mindset shift that I'm fascinated by. And I'll, I'll be honest, Alicia, it, it was the number one reason why I wanted to talk to you um, on, this, on this program. It's, it's getting into that mind shift to not demonize the things you want and why you want them. And that maybe it doesn't matter who knows. I mean, it's not like, you, you know, you're supposed to stand at the top of a hill and, and with your megaphone and, and shout your perversions at everyone. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But being able to show up and move through your life without fear and shame. And to not hide it. You said early on in our conversation today that it takes energy It takes energy to remember what parts of you you're trying to cover up in front of certain people. Mm. And couldn't there just be more freedom and liberation? Couldn't there be more peace and ease by just being who you are every day, in every moment, in every way, with every group of people that you find yourself in front of? Why edit and it's that why edit it that's the mindset shift that i'm i'm just obsessed with right now how do we free ourselves from that conditioning of what we think is right or wrong i mean it's generations and generations and like you said it's every love story that's ever been told in the case of your work of destigmatizing anything other than monogamy as a way of life. What, what do you think it's gonna take to, to, to change the culture around that? I mean, I think we're on our way, right? Like it's conversations like this. It's conversations like this that people are tuning in and listening to and going, oh, I'm not the only one, right? I have people ask me all the time about, I mean, literally what you asked me, like how do you, how do you show up as yourself and, and say all of these things that are fairly outrageous, you know, in, in, in normal society? <laughs> oh. And what I've found is the more and more authentic and real that I show up in the world, the more I talk about who I am without, um, without a layer of shame on it, without the filter of shame on it, right? The more people also, the more other people also show up who are going, oh, 
you wouldn't know it, but I am, I'm also having that experience. I just haven't talked to anybody about it. I mean, every single day before I was doing this work, I was still like, I was open about having a, a non-monogamous marriage. I was open about having multiple partners and lovers and people would come to me and go, oh, wow. Like, oh yeah, I've had experiences like that. I just, you know, I'm scared to tell people. Um, and I think, yeah, we're just having these conversations and people hearing them and just normalizing it all, normalizing that human beings are human beings with desires and uh, needs for love and different ways to meet those needs and, and just being ourselves, you know? Uh, earlier when you had mentioned, um, you know, do I, do I come out to my family before I say something openly that I've been with women? I never came out to my family. I just suddenly had a female lover. <laughs> you know, like it just was, it was just like, this is who I am. I don't need to brace anybody for who I am. I don't need to have a conversation around who I am. Um, so much so that it, like, it feels so much like this is just who I am that I was, I was invited to a group um, for queer women and they were very explicit. This isn't a group for allies. This is a group for queer women to have a safe space to talk about their, their experiences. And I remember thinking, oh, this group isn't for me. Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> I'm, I've literally been in a four-year relationship with a woman. I, this group is exactly for me, but it just, it didn't even dawn on me that like, that I, I, that anything I'm doing is outside of, of what people expect, you know? <laughs> I love that you said is outside of what people expect. And the reason why I love that is because you're in control. Like you set the stage. Yeah. You set the stage for what people expect. And you know what? That that feels, oh, like I, I relax in my body hearing that because it makes me think I've done that my whole life. That there's probably nothing that anyone in my family would be surprised hearing is true about me because I've set the stage for just being uh, uniquely me <laughs> and not them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and they love me anyways, mm. right? Learning to set the mask down of who I think I'm supposed to be for other people and getting in touch with who I am, that's my goal. To go forward and to live my life without fear and shame for wanting what I want. I've been reading Existential Kink by Carolyn Elliott and learning so much more about my shadows, getting curious about the unconscious pleasures I'm deriving from the patterns I say I don't want. And to shine a light on another wisdom speaker, next week, I get to talk to Susan Campbell, PhD, author of seven books, including the Bible of Authentic Living, called Getting Real. I hope you tune back in for more at Pink Noise Radio.